The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. We've got some stats for you on today's show. We have stats for you on every show, but today is going to be different. These stats are crazy, or are they? We can't really figure out the best adjective to describe these stats, so we're just going to decide on the spot if they are, in fact, crazy. I'm pretty crazy. I'm Adam Azer. I got Dave Richard and Heath Cummings here. Hello, Dave. You ready for a crazy show? I'm never crazy, Adam. Oh, I don't believe that. Just all you have to do is listen to the mic checks, people. That is a big lie. <laughs> Heath, you didn't contribute to the crazy stats. I hope these are good enough for you. you I doubt usually it. usually have some um, good ones. But it's probably better for programming if they're not. <laughs> I'll screw it up, just like, just like Fantasy Jeopardy or something like that. Yeah, so today we'll talk about uh, Michael Gallup's stat. Cam Akers, overall quarterback play, big big runs. Uh, well, Nick Chubb in particular and how many big plays he makes, J.K. Dobbins and things like that. And, uh, yeah, we'll have fun with them. And we have a food segment as well. We're going to talk about a truly disgusting sandwich that is, I don't know, cir- uh, circulating throughout the Internet thanks to a football player and also Tom oh, Brady. This. Tom Brady recklessly throwing a trophy across the water. That, I don't think that was reckless. reckless. Second time... In my life that I've felt relatable to Tom Brady um, was watching him (laughs) yesterday. Uh, The first time was watching his first five holes of golf in that special (laughs) he did where he was terrible. Um, Well, the second time was when he split his pants. What looks to be a massive error in the very Uh first crazy or crazy stats part two. So I think that should be like the start. Why? What did I do? Okay, so here's how I structured the show. I got five crazy stats, then we'll take a break, talk about food and news and notes. We got a lot of them. And then I've got five more crazy stats. Crazy stat part two, the set, the first one, the top 10 wide receivers in A dot, minimum 50 targets. What did I do? Well, I think there's some really, like, it's it's instructive because it's, I'll just read them. MVS, Jalen Guyton, Scott Miller, Nelson Aguilar, Gabriel Davis, Brashad Perryman, Mike Williams, Calvin Ridley, Rashad Higgins, and DJ Chark. Like, one of those guys was consistently good. Um, yeah, Ridley. But then you look at the top 10 PPR Are you sure wide receivers <laughs> and where they finished in dot. And it's amazing that Calvin Ridley was a top 10 wide receiver, did not finish in oh. the top 10 wide receivers in ADOT, but he was a top 10 wide receiver in ADOT. No. So it, because one list has a 50 target minimum <laughs> and one list doesn't have a 50 target minimum because I couldn't look at Devontae Adams who finished 93rd in ADOT and then go through the entire list and eliminate all of the wide receivers who didn't have 50 targets. That just, that would have been wild. So I understand 
I understand your confusion, and now everybody's confused, but don't worry. The, the list makes sense. Let's start with crazy stat, or is it crazy stat, number one. In the four games that Dak Prescott started and finished, the first four games of the year, your top three wide receivers in routes run were Michael Gallup 1, Amari Cooper 2, and CeeDee Lamb 3. They all they led the NFL in routes run, and Michael Gallup was number one, and the, the crazy thing is that he was terrible. He had a great game against Seattle in week three. And if you remember, Seattle was the pits, as as the kids say. They, they, he was the pits. They, they, or they were the pits. What kid says pits? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's not kids. They were the pits. What kids they, are you around? They were so bad. I don't um, think around my parents. But in the other three games, I mean, he had he had 58 yards or fewer. He had no more than five. Th- Michael Gallup was terrible, except for that Seattle game. And he led the NFL in routes run. So um, that was crazy. And, uh, or was it, was well, it crazy? What, like what was crazy and relates directly to this is the fact that in the first, in the four full games that Dak Prescott played, he threw 39. That was his lowest pass attempt total 47, 57 and 58 passes in four games. Yeah. He was averaging 50 pass attempts per game. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> That is okay. So I just should have led with that. But I thought what was crazy was how bad Michael Gallup was. Uh, like he <laughs> right. he had third of all those passes. He had thirteen catches, fifty passes per game, and he had thirteen catches in those four games. Whereas Amari Cooper had uh, had uh, thirty seven catches. catches, and Ceedee Lamb had twenty one catches for three hundred and nine yards. So, um, what does that what does that mean for your day for Michael Gallup as we, he goes from being a guy who was per game in 2019, 12th in non-PPR, 18th in PPR, to being a total dud in 2020. I mean, you kind of saw the writing on the wall that this was a possibility when they drafted C.D. Lamb, and it was Dallas taking the best available player. When they did it, they didn't have a need for a third receiver. And what it did is it just pushed Michael Gallup down into a spot where he was not going to be relied upon like we were kind of sort of hoping that he would. And he, he did better as the season went on. But to me, that was it was Dallas saying, all right, we've got this awesome new weapon in C.D. Lamb. Let's utilize him. We've had this great receiver in Amari Cooper. Let's keep it up with him. And then it was their defense letting them down. And, and Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore just I'm sure they just looked at each other at one point and said, you know, let's just go crazy and let Dak lead the way and throw the ball a ton. And that's what happened in the first four games. He, he was um, this is weird and, and maybe not related but they went one and three in those games. You referenced Adam. The only game he was good was against Seattle, and that was also the only game they won. He was quite a bit better for fantasy purposes. I mean, you remember he kind of came on at the end of the year when they got hot and tried to push towards the playoffs. He was quite a bit, when he was good, they won. Mm, Not always. But his numbers were better in wins. Really, really awful in losses. One thing we saw, his last six games was not bad. The, the pace in those six games, the 16-game pace, was 75 catches, 923 yards, 11 touchdowns on 120 targets. And that was all with, I'm guessing, most if not all with Andy Dalton, certainly none with Dak Prescott. And his ADOT was way, was way down in those games. He just wasn't running as deep routes, or at least wasn't targeted on deep routes as often in those last six games. Um, but uh, when are we drafting Michael Gallup? We'll finish on that. Is he a top 120 player? Is he a top 100 player? You tell me. 
I currently have Gallup in my top 120. I have him at 110, so around 10 pick as a as a good PPR bench receiver to begin the season. Yeah, I was just looking. I've got him at 112 with no conversation or ever seeing Dave's rankings. That's we right. came out very, very close on Michael Gallup. It's literally the first player I've heard about how you've ranked. I haven't <laughs> checked out your rankings. You haven't checked out mine because you can't because mine are locked up. So are yours. Jamie's same thing. So that's interesting that we kind of came to the same conclusion that Gallup is still worth drafting, but just worth putting on the bench. By the way, did, did we mention how many pass attempts per game Dak had in 2019? No. Okay. 37 and a quarter per game. So yeah, that's still pretty still damn good. A lot. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. I, I, I don't want people to get hung up on the crazy stat of 50 pass attempts in the first four games. That wasn't going to last anyway. Uh, at least I don't think it would. If it did, then Dak would have been QB one. But even in, in 2019, when he played a ton of games, still threw a lot, and that's good. And that's what we should expect from him, provided he's healthy and ready to go and still part of the Cowboys, et cetera, et cetera. And, and see, I think that maybe turns this discussion into more of a Dak discussion. Because if he was a 600 pass attempt guy or on pace for or close to in 2019, and then in 2020 in four games, he threw it 33% more. Like we had going into last year, this thing about, well, you know, he never really threw that much. He never really... We saw at least a month of him throwing even more than that. I think we should go into the season with the expectation that he's going to be a high-volume passer, and he's always been an efficient passer. So he should probably be in that top-five quarterback discussion. All right, great. Well, see, this is what I'm going to give you a stat that's not so crazy, and you're going to turn it into a better stat. So well done. All right, here's your second one. In 2019, this is not actually a Dak Prescott stat, but in 2019, Dak was QB2. And he scored 336 points in four-point per passing touchdown leagues, 396 points in six-point. In 2020, eight quarterbacks outscored Dak, Dak's 2019 season. So basically, eight quarterbacks in 2020 would have been QB2 in 2019 behind only Lamar Jackson. And Heath, what do you make of that? Uh, it, was, it was historic. It was the highest-scoring season ever. But quarterback really saw the, the biggest increase in production. Well, we're seeing a lot more running quarterbacks, um, and that obviously helps. I also think like the defensive things and all the things that went into last year being a weird year probably affected that as well. Um, I think this is sneakily a Patrick Mahomes stat because he was, depending on which source you're looking at, between 29 and a half and 30 and a half fantasy points per game last year. And that was only good enough for second or third um but that was the second, like all these other guys, Aaron Rodgers scored 20, was it 29.9. He hadn't been over 23 fantasy points per game in the last three years. Josh Allen was at 29.4. He had not been over 21 fantasy points per game in the last three years. Like these guys made massive leaps in this weird year. And Patrick Mahomes was pretty close to what he's been on a per game basis just over the last three years. And I think that's why it's easy to accept him as QB one. If the question not, not and the debate, the debate really that Chris Towers and I were having is like, how much better do you think he is than everyone else on a, on a projection basis? Like one of the four or five guys behind him is probably going to have a great year and be as good as him. Let but me he's, tell you what I am scared of besides snakes and rats. Oh, uh, I 
I I am scared that Buffalo follows through on their promise to be better at running the football, and that takes rush attempts and pass attempts away from Josh Allen. Yeah, I am worried that Arizona, while I don't think they've necessarily come out and said we need to be better at running the football, they go out and they add a running back in the draft, especially would be scary to try and and make things a little bit more balanced for what they do and take a lot of pressure off of Kyler Murray, especially after he got hurt and we saw his numbers tank toward the second half of last season. Uh, we could, I, I don't think we necessarily can see the same thing happening in Baltimore, but they tried to rein in Lamar Jackson a little bit early on in the season. And, uh, and eventually they got to the point where they were like, you know, he's got to play like he plays and they let Lamar Jackson go. I am worried that they're those two guys, especially Allen and Kyler could see running backs come in that help the team, but hurt their numbers. And that could potentially create a gap. Whereas in Kansas city, like I'm starting to make the case for Clyde Edwards Elaire being a a much better piece of that offense in 2021. He was close to like having some huge games in 2020. And I I almost wonder if there's just not going to be enough there for Edwards Elaire to completely minimize, not completely minimize. God, that'll never happen, but sort of take away a little bit off of Patrick Mahomes' plate. I think Mahomes could be anywhere from 2 to 3 points per game better than the second best quarterback uh, in fantasy in 2021. Which, in my opinion, means that he should be a second round pick. It depends on how many other players you like, though, when you get into round two. For example, and we're, we're going to reference Chris and, and his call that he would take three tight ends in round one a lot. I think three tight ends through the end of round two is going to be far more commonplace than what we see in drafts. I think we're going to see a ton of running backs go in the first three rounds, certainly a lot in the first two. And we'll see a lot of receivers go in the first two rounds for sure. At some point you'll get, you'll get to Mahomes' name and say, well, he's better than all these running backs and receivers and tight ends. I'm going to take him." But I just wonder how, how much you should prioritize him to take him in round two. If you feel like I feel where there's a chance, I'm not saying it's going to happen really depends on what happens in Buffalo and Arizona and maybe some other places where he will be notably better than every other quarterback in the NFL on a per game basis and fantasy points. And, okay. I, and I think it's important. It's just like Chris said, when we talked about this last week, it's the Mike Trout argument. Um, there's probably going to be one player that has a career year and is as good or close to as good as Patrick Mahomes next year. But guessing which of those six or seven quarterbacks it is, it doesn't seem like a very easy guess. It's probably better to just go with the guy who's going to be that good because he is every year. But if you think there are going to be as many elite quarterbacks in 2021 as there were in 2020 or close to it or something, that's an argument mm-hmm. against taking Patrick Mahomes well, in the second round. The, the, yes. I think the thing is, elite quarterback does not necessarily mean what we saw last year with six quarterbacks scoring 420 fantasy points. Um, I think elite quarterback every year before last year was we had guys averaging 25 fantasy points a game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so then the question is the rules changes from last year, specifically the lack of holding. And I believe an uptick in, in defensive pass interference, uh, is that going to lead to, more elite quarterbacks or is this something that we should expect going forward that quarterback it's not necessarily deeper because it's always deep but it's but it's even stronger at the top or the top tier is even bigger than it used to be because they're not calling holding as much mainly that it's a big difference it really is or was that just a fluky year you know of a little bit of both all right all right let's go to our third stat third stat is it crazy 
Oh, crazy is just not the right word. Uh, 60, okay, this is from Dave. 69.5% of Cam Akers' PPR points were on yards and two-point conversions. 69.5% of Cam Akers' PPR points were on yards and two-point conversions. What does that mean, Dave? Put that in layman's terms. Well, as in it, it didn't come from catches or touchdowns. That's basically the the long and the short of it. But that's, a, that that's a high number? That's 69.5%? It's a very high number. Right. Uh, I could list you a couple of other running backs who had about as many carries as Cam Akers. Akers had 145 carries. Um, there were a couple of other ones that had an even higher number. One notably, Damian Harris. My guy, uh, 80.5% of his PPR fantasy points came from yards because he doesn't catch the ball because he didn't score a ton of touchdowns. It makes sense. These percentages kind of make sense. But when you think about Cam Akers, you, you recognize that he finished the year super strong, 15 plus carries in each of his last six games. And you think about him contributing in the passing game too, but I guess he didn't do it quite enough over the course of the year. He really just didn't play a lot until the end of the year. And when he did play, it was the yardage that he was racking up. You remember the game against the Patriots had a monster game there. Uh, you, you remember other games that he had where he was just on fire. And I'm actually really encouraged by this stat. I don't know if it's crazy, but I, I think Cam Akers is going to enter my top 12 at running back. I think he's going to be not Jonathan Taylor-esque, but he, he'll be one of the – he'll be my second favorite second year running no, he can't be my second favorite robinson's there he'll be my third favorite second year running back in the top 12 because i think he can improve as a pass catcher i think the rams are going to be committed to him as their running back and we know that the offense is going to be a little bit better and a little bit more dangerous with matthew stafford and we know the defense is going to be competitive so there's a real good path here for cam Akers to consistently get uh, well over 15 touches per game, but maybe even 20 touches per game in L.A. Sure would like to see that offensive line get bulked up a little bit, but he's got a shot to have a really good year, and he's coming off of a year where nearly 70% of his numbers came strictly off of rushing yards, whatever he did on two-point conversions. I checked to see if he threw a pass last year. He didn't. So there, there's a lot of room for him to grow, and it, he already showed us that he's grown some. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I, the touchdowns don't bother me. The receptions do. The fact that he was third in line behind Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson in the passing game bothers me, and I think Henderson's going to be back. Um, so I'm not as optimistic as Dave is in full PPR and non-PPR. I'm, I'm all systems go. All right, so let me lay this out for you, though. Uh, the last six games that Dave mentioned, those include two postseason games. His pace, based on those games, I know I do this a lot, but I hope, I hope it's helpful for you, 352 carries... 29 catches and uh, almost 1,900 total yards, 1,888 total yards, only eight touchdowns. That was what he was on pace for in the last six games of the season. He was a true workhorse. 29 catches is not that bad, but it's obviously not very good, but that's what he was on pace for. And meanwhile, you combine Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown in those six games, which does not include week 16. That was a game that Cam Akers missed. Um, they had a combined 30 touches, and Cam Akers had 143. Uh, so, and they had eight catches, and Akers had 11 catches. And, and the nice thing is that we have this really solid history of Sean McVay. When he does things at the end of one season, they carry over oh. to the next season. Okay, there but the, the, you think, you have to think that he's going to carry over as their lead back next year. And 100%. Yeah. Yes, no doubt at all. I don't think, and this, I don't know. I think it's unlikely. They run the ball at the rate they did last year with Matthew Stafford. I think if you wanted to run the ball like that, 
the upgrade of Matthew Stafford over Jared Goff's not that big. I, he is definitely someone who can catch passes, though. I, I, I don't know why his he didn't have a bigger role it, there. Um, over let's say over under thirty five catches for Cam Akers. I'm taking the over. I am gonna take the under because you like what we did there was say twenty percent higher than his ridiculous pace at the end of last year. Yeah, sure. So okay. I'm gonna say under. I'm right, gonna say at. that the the Rams are going to first thing they're gonna well the first thing they did was get Stafford so they upgraded quarterback certainly that'll make them a little bit more open to passing compared to what they had with Goff when they were nervous, I think, to really let him go. Uh, at the very least, they'll unleash the quarterback position. I think they're going to try and add some speed at receiver, too. And we've seen Stafford lean on running backs out of the backfield before. I think that that's something that they will want. I, I think they're going to want to get the ball in the Cam Akers' hands. They, they've got to be over the moon with him. And I just think he's going to, I think he's already outclassed Henderson and Brown. Brown's a free agent. They might not even resign him. So there's there's certainly an opportunity here for Cam Akers to reach workhorse status and superstar status. All right, next stat is about really Nick Chubb, but uh, let me uh, let me promote a few things real quick. By the way, fantasy baseball season. All right, it's here. Make sure you're listening to fantasy fantasy baseball today. You can also watch it on YouTube. Frank Stample, Scott White, Chris Towers are doing position previews for the rest of February to get you ready for draft season. Five episodes per week. You can find fantasy baseball today wherever you listen to FFT. But uh, they're now streaming the video show live on weeknights, 10 p.m. Eastern on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. Ben, is that just youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today? Exactly right. All right. YouTube.com slash fantasy baseball today. 10 p.m. Eastern every weeknight. Or is it probably Sunday night through Thursday night, rather? They're streaming their episode live. So check it out. Um, Yeah, there you go. 10 p.m. on their YouTube channel. And you can listen to our show on your smart speakers. Just say, Alexa, play the latest episode of the Fantasy Football Today podcast. Or say, hey, Google, play the latest episode of the Fantasy Football Today podcast. You can listen to us on your speakers. All right. Let's talk about big plays. Top five leaders in carries of 20 or more yards. Derrick Henry was number one. He had 16. That's incredible. Also, Jamie gave you, if you listen to FFT in five, there are three stats that are not on today's show. But uh, Jamie gave you a stat on Derrick Henry and his 30-plus yard carries. But 20-plus yards, Henry led the way with 16. Nick Chubb had 12. And Nick Chubb had four fewer carries of 20-plus yards than Henry. But in total, he had 188 fewer carries than Derrick Henry. (laughs) And then how about the next three? Wow. The next three top five leaders in uh, carries of 20-plus yards. Three, Lamar Jackson. Four, J.K. Dobbins. Tied for fourth, Gus Edwards. <laughs> so <laughs> those three Ravens, how about that? Um, I, we'll talk about Dobbins with our next stat. But I want to talk about Nick Chubb. I mean, I don't know if people consider him one of the best running backs in football because he doesn't catch the ball as much. But there's a lot of evidence to say he's one of the best running backs in football. You know, Dave, I'll throw it to you. And he's overcoming the fact that he doesn't catch passes because he makes so many big plays. Two years in a row, he's been either first or second in carries of 20-plus yards. And this is huge because if you just look at the role of Kareem Hunt, the lack of passing uh, passing work, that's usually not a good thing for a running back. But we're going to find Nick Chubb being drafted in the first round a lot. Because he's a fantastic running back who can 
show off his efficiency, which is what we're talking about when he's got almost as many big runs as Derrick Henry on 188 fewer carries. And he, he smells the end zone a lot. He's on a team that wants to run the football a ton. They've got an offensive line that is already one of the better units in the league. Maybe they've got a chance to be the best unit in the league going into 2021. And uh, how about this? It's just one last thing to take away from the conversation. He had nine targets in the two playoff games that they had against the Steelers and the Chiefs, and he caught six of them. It's a starting point. I don't think anybody's drafting Nick Chubb on the hope that he keeps up that type of pace in the 2021 season because he's not. But we know that he can do it. The Browns leaned on him to catch the football in the playoffs. Those are their most important games. Maybe he does give you a little bit more in the passing game to make him uh, uh, just as a cherry topper in PPR drafts and non-PPR. I think everybody's already going to buy into him as as an early round, early first round guy. But in PPR, I think he belongs in that conversation, too. Not because he's going to have a lot of catches when he hasn't had them already, but because of the efficiency and because of the workload that he gets most weeks. And Heath, he he probably needs to be a spectacular running back to give you first-round value. I, I don't know. Maybe not. But I, I think I think it's a good case to be made, just in PPR, specifically in PPR, because you know even if you remove week four when he barely played against Dallas, he was on pace for 23 catches. And he's not a 300 carry guy either, you know, because of Kareem Hunt. So he right. really he needs to be amazing, and he has been every year of his career. He's been five yards per carry or better. Uh, so, do you think that in a PPR league, Nick Chubb is a first round pick? I don't, um, and I like I hate saying that because I think Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs in the NFL. I think he's awesome, but he's got Kareem Hunt there, and he doesn't catch the ball very often. And he's been, I think, eighth and eleventh at running back the past two years in PPR fantasy points per game. And that's a borderline first round pick. But if you were eighth through 11th at five yards a carry with all these big runs, um, I'm a little bit concerned that that's your, like, we've seen his ceiling the last two years. What if I, and what if, what if you were significant ninth? risk? Cause, oh, you said eighth through 11th? Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. that makes sense. Cause I haven't met ninth this year. Unfortunately, that does count the Dallas game, but there's not much you can do about that. Um, okay. No, I mean, that makes sense. So top, not top 12, top 20, though? I've got him right around 20. In fact, I have him and Cam Akers back-to-back. Um, him one spot ahead of Cam Akers. Okay. I've got Chubb a little bit higher. I've got him at 11. I don't mind taking him in late round one, especially knowing that you're going to get somebody good if you want to get somebody good at non-running back in round two. But let's say you're debating between Chubb and Kelsey, and you're picking at 11, and they're both still there. Theoretically, you can get Kelsey at 11 because there's not going to be a guy like him in round two if you pass on him, unless someone stupidly doesn't take him. You could swing around and get somebody like Nick Chubb. I don't know if it's necessarily Cam Akers, but someone good at running back in round two. So what I'm saying is I don't think you have to prioritize Chubb in terms of his talent, but more so because of his position. Right. And if you just want to lock up running backs early, Chubb will be on your list in late round one. If you don't care so much about that, or you'd rather prioritize one of the stud receivers or Kelsey, then you'll take that position first, and then Chubb's someone you can hopefully end up with in round two. Okay, he went fifth in the PPR draft we did that's last early. month. Yeah, and and that's going to happen in some. And I I can't like the same thing as Jonathan Taylor going third or fourth in one of our drafts. Like when you have a guy that's that good, 
um, it's it's really hard to make the argument against it. It's just that you need absolutely everything to go right for them to justify anything close to that cost. All right, so last question. Would you take James Robinson, who had 49 catches in 14 games, or would you take Nick Chubb, who was on pace for about 22 catches per 16 games? And it's weird. I, I, I'm nervous to draft Robinson. I'm worried about a letdown season. So I've got Chubb ahead of him. I've got Eckler ahead of Robinson, too. I've currently got Robinson in the first round. Um, there's things that could change that, though. They, there could be talk coming out of Jacksonville about more of a committee. They could go get a pass-catching running back. I don't know why they would. He was awesome at it. Um, but like, I think everything stays the same as it is right now. I'm drafting Robinson over Chubb and, and just as a, as, as a quick And Akers. Okay, could. Uh, as, as a quick aside, uh, when you go back and look through the history of Urban Meyer's offenses, there have been times where he's had an amazing running back. Like Ezekiel Elliott was his running back at Ohio State. He leaned on him like crazy. And there were times where he didn't really have a great running back and he would use the platoon. He makes use of what he's got. So really it comes down to how the Jaguars view James Robinson now. And if they think he can hold up and be their feature back, that means that they're not going to add any other running back with significant capital this offseason. That would make me encouraged to draft James Robinson. The more the Jaguars do at running back this offseason, the less likely I am to be excited about James right. Robinson. Of course. They should sign Tim Tebow just saying. Okay, there, I said it. Let's go to stat number five. J.K. Dobbins, he led all ball carriers in yards before contact per rush. And I'm going to just say, like, I've been looking at some of these advanced stats from different sources, and I see some different things. So I have some doubts about the accuracy, I will say that. But I have no doubt that J.K. Dobbins was among the leaders. Um, but according to what I saw, he had he averaged 4.64 yards per carry before co- yards before contact per carry. Um, that's incredible. Only three players averaged more than 2.55 yards before contact, and two of them were quarterbacks. Dobbins, Kyler Murray, and Lamar Jackson. So he basically was like two yards better, more than two yards better than any other running back in yards before contact per rush. And even if that stat is not entirely accurate, I mean, he he got a lot of yards before contact per carry. So did Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. They were both top five. And that was something that 49ers running backs had going for them two years ago as well. So that system, that, that blocking... Uh, creates a lot of yards before contact for 49ers running backs, and I can say for J.K. Dobbins as well. Heath, your reaction? Well, it's kind of like um, a poor man's Nick Chubb at this point. And it may not be a poor man's Nick Chubb. It may just be Nick Chubb because he is awesome, and the situation is fantastic. Um, but like Chubb, he's sharing. In fact, he's sharing a lot more than Chubb, I would anticipate. That's been the the history in Baltimore during the Lamar Jackson era. You see... Just under a third of their carries go to Lamar Jackson. Just over a third of their carries go to the feature back. And then Gus Edwards takes up the rest. And we did not see one game last year where there was more than 15 carries for J.K. Dobbins. And those didn't even happen. It's not like he took over at the end of the year and they gave him his biggest workload then. We're kind of building towards something. That happened in week eight and week 11. Um, I think we should expect him to be somewhere around 12 to 14 carries per game. There's not much reason to expect more than two to three targets per game. And so you have to be otherworldly efficient to be worth a second round pick in PPR with that type of volume. And he may just be. Um, It's a perfect situation. He's an extremely talented back. I'm not saying he's not worth a second round pick, but he's definitely 
I mean, I'm not going to have him ranked that way, and he's definitely not worth more than a late second-round pick. I agree. Um, I, I think that's pretty much where he has to go. I'm worried about people overdrafting him because there are some amazing superlatives that we can say about J.K. Dobbins after his rookie year. Pro Football Focus has an elusiveness rating. He's top 10 in the elusiveness rating. They've got a breakaway percentage, so the percentage of yards that they get on breakaway runs. He was second in the NFL behind, take a guess. Lamar Jackson. Carlos Hyde, because Carlos Hyde had like 50 of his rush yards on a, on one play, okay. so that boosted his number. But Dobbins had a lot of breakaway runs. It wasn't like he had one yard, or one play, rather, for a lot of yards. I, I, I love the talent. I love the ability. Can't stand the situation, because Lamar Jackson's going to take work away from him. And Gus Edwards has done nothing, nothing, to lose his grip on some of the rushing workload. And even if Mark Ingram is, he's already gone. Even with Ingram out of there, they still are going to use all these guys. And I'm just, it, it does make me nervous about J.K. Dobbins breaking through to being an elite level, worthy of a top 20 pick uh, at running back in fantasy. All right. We've got five more stats coming up for you later. We do have a lot of notes to get to, including Russell Wilson's frustration and Baltimore's offensive line, and uh, a lot of Detroit stuff as well. So let's do a quick food segment here. Jay Mass asked, what's in the buffalo chicken dip that I had been talking about? So I've got the recipe for you. Everybody write it down. Uh, And the website is bombshellbling.com. Bombshellbling.com. Are you sure that you clicked the right browser to read that? (laughs) Um. Two large, I, my, my wife said this to me, so blame her. Two large cans of chicken or the equivalent of fresh shredded chicken. So that we, I don't know what that means, a can of chicken. So we just baked uh, like a pound of chicken strips for, I don't know, 20 minutes or something like that. And then my wife shredded them. Two cups of shredded cheddar cheese, half a cup of buffalo sauce, um, one cup of sour cream, and one block of eight ounces of cream cheese softed, softened. Cream cheese, sour cream, buffalo sauce, cheddar cheese, and chicken. That's it. You can find the recipe on bombshellbling.com. And it a little was suggestion so, for you, Adam. Okay. If you want to replace the sour cream, because this is what I did Greek on yogurt? Sunday. Greek yogurt? Greek yogurt. Yep. Plain, non-fat Greek I'll yogurt. I'll tell you, man. I've never done that. So we don't we don't eat sour cream like on tacos. Or we replace that with, with Greek yogurt, plain Greek yogurt. But... I've never done that in something that you have to bake the sour cream into. It's still, it's still okay to do? It worked. It was great. All right. Yeah. It's so. It's really like the best substitution. It's so good. Um, I'm going to ask my wife to do that next time she makes her famous spinach and artichoke dip. I'm telling you. Yeah, you'll, you'll thank us later. Uh, Dave, what is this disgusting banana and mayo sandwich? Uh, you're asking me? You should ask Tariq Cohen, who <laughs> has been talking about it and preaching it on Twitter and trying to get people to eat it and uh, literally made a video of himself slapping some mayo on a piece of bread, cutting up some banana slices, putting that on a piece of bread, and then eating it. A banana mayo sandwich. He swears by it. He loves it. He says it's amazing. It sounds really... It it makes me want to take him one round later in fantasy drafts this year, to be honest. By the way, Heath, I had to go to bombshellbling.com just to make sure this was not... (laughs) <laughs> I didn't like read the URL wrong or something, but it's totally kosher. Uh, banana and mayo. So this has got to be our next bet. Like these are the stakes. Wait, to be clear, the dip's not kosher, right? 
What? It depends on how the chicken. You said it's totally kosher. Oh no, the dip is def- definitely okay. not kosher. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, there's cheese in there. Never mind. Meat and cheese. Yeah, that's a yeah. Big you no-no. can't do that. Never mind. Um, yeah, whoever loses, we're gonna make a bet at some point. Whoever loses is gonna have to eat a banana and mayo sandwich. Now we've uh, had some interesting sandwiches before on the podcast. Remember when we had a peanut butter? Heath won't remember this. He wasn't around, but peanut butter and bologna. Kind of. Yeah. I found an old video of us eating peanut butter bologna sandwiches. Ooh, I think it was bologna. All of us? You, me, and Jamie. I ate a peanut butter and bologna sandwich? I think you recommended a peanut butter bologna sandwich. Oh, no way. I think, or someone talked about it. Maybe I'm wrong on exactly what it was, but I found this old, it's like a time capsule. It was on an old iPad I found of uh, of us eating a peanut butter and how did I we think, think it was peanut butter and bologna. How did we feel about it? I think we liked it. I don't think we, obviously we, we don't love it, but we've had some interesting food experiments over the years. We had the Seattle hot dogs during the uh-huh. football season. I, I, I love those. Um, this is probably next on the list, a banana mayo sandwich, although I'm not dying this to try gonna it. This is going to be disgusting. Disgusting. I think. Yeah. Well, here are some news items. Washington signed quarterback Taylor Heineke to a two-year deal. He played pretty well for them in the playoffs. Uh, Russell Wilson said he's tired of getting hit so much. And ESPN had a stat that he Wilson's been sacked 394 times. That is the most in a player's first nine seasons since the 1970 merger. What well, did I What a, did I find it, out about him? Okay, but it is a lot. A lot of it's on him. You oh, know, dude! They don't have a terrible offensive line. He holds the ball, and he gets hit. But he's frust- He's there. Seems to be some uh, some Seattle frustration there. It, there's eight straight seasons where he's taken at least 36 sacks when he's had the ball in his hands for over two and a half seconds in the pocket. Yeah, that's a long time. That's all. And, and it ranks at the top or near the top every single one of those eight years. Mm. Throw the ball, Russ. Okay. Baltimore wants to upgrade its pass protection, but they might be losing their right tackle, Orlando Brown, who was moved to left tackle when Ronnie Stanley got hurt. And now he wants to be traded because he does not want to play left tackle. Uh, he wants a right tackle. He right only tackle. wants to play left tackle. So that would be a big loss for them. Teams are interested in both Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota. I also would like to report that teams are interested in my smoker that has a little bit of rust on it, and they are offering to give me enough money for it to buy a new smoker. What? So are you going to take the deal, or are you too committed to your smoker? I, I've got point? good offers. I'm holding out for a great offer. So are you going to, like, drop a, a text or something to the world's most um, the world's authority on smoker rumors and news so that he tweets out something about your smoker and what you're really trying to get for it. Yep. Good news, Heath. Uh, I just checked heathsmokedmeat.com is totally available. So you can start. What if you take the, the smoked part out? <laughs> Do I really have to check this? No. You know what? I'm going to. Let's see. Oh, God. Please, no. Oh, thank goodness the site can't be reached. So So that is Heath's meat and Heath's smoke meat. Yeah, perfect. One can redirect to the other. Uh, All right. Here uh, here are some Lions notes. Deuce Staley, now on their coaching staff, says, A lot of people think you got to go have 20 carries as a running back to be successful, and sometimes you do. 
But touches, when you have a good back, an electrifying back, touches are definitely more important. You can get 18 carries and seven touches as far as receptions, and you have 25 touches, which is what you want from your star back. When I look at DeAndre Swift, I do think he's a three-down back, and like I said, he has some special traits I can't wait to get my hands on, so I'm excited about that. That was Deuce Staley talking to the Detroit Free Press. He came out at uh, the number one rookie running back in my first round of projections, and that quote does not make me want to change that. Mm. Ahead of Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, I know. I just changed it in the rankings. I just pushed Taylor ahead of him. But Is it just because of the receptions? Because... It's because he did so much more in the passing game, yeah. And he was very, very good when they gave him the ball, and now he's got a coaching staff that I expect is both going to run more and throw more to their running backs. Once upon a time, I was at the NFL owners meetings where they have the breakfasts with the coaches and Anthony Lynn was a year or two into his time with the Chargers and no one was talking to him. So I pulled up a chair and I just started shooting the breeze with him. And we talked about throwing to running backs and especially on screens and flat passes. And he, he lit up about it and he, he, he immediately said, I call those extended runs. And I guarantee you that that will be part of a package that the Lions have, especially with Goff at quarterback, and especially with Swift at running back, and especially with next to nothing at wide receiver in Detroit this year. You're going to see him get a lot of work if he stays healthy, and the catches could go pretty sky high. He could be, you know, he's got Austin Eckler's old coach now. So there's definitely an opportunity for Swift to be very, very good in PPR. All right, and final note here, Mitch Album in the Detroit Free Press wrote a feature on Matthew Stafford and his exit, and a very graceful one, and it's a really good story. But this is what Matthew Stafford played through in 2020. A partially torn UCL on his right thumb, a torn UCL on his left elbow, broken cartilage in his rib, a tear in the back of his left knee, and a right ankle sprain. He had all of those things during 20, not the entire time, obviously, but that's what he was dealing with. That is a tough dude. It does make me it makes me wonder if you asked every football player all their injuries, we'd probably be like, why do you guys play this sport? My what is my initial thought you? was like he broke his back a year and a half ago or so. Is, is he just breaking down? It's a great question. It's a concern. Yeah. Once upon a time it felt like this is going to sound weird because I know Roethlisberger missed an entire season, but it felt like Roethlisberger couldn't stay healthy, and then he did for a couple years. Um, like Cam Newton's had an injury-prone reputation, but he plays like 14 to 16 games every year, basically, except for the one that he missed. I know he missed an entire season, but it's hard to predict these things is what I'm saying. Sometimes we label quarterbacks injury-prone, and they stay perfectly healthy. We I think once upon a time, Stafford. Matthew Stafford was injury-prone. Right. That's exactly First right. Of his career. That's exactly right, and then he was an Iron Man. Yeah, no. till 2019. <laughs> till 20, till, I would say until 2018. broke. And then that's what... That's 2018, what he started the field. playing hurt, I think, right? He played hurt, but he didn't miss any games from 2011 through 2018. And he played through 16 and 2020. So, Iron Man indeed. Stafford or Cousins? I got Stafford ranked higher. I currently do as well. All right. What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, 
ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Let's get to our second round of crazy stats. Well, this one's going to be great. He thinks I messed it up. (laughs) Top 10 wide receivers in ADOT, minimum 50 targets. Yeah, you love ADOT, huh? How about this? MVS, Jalen Guyton, Scott Miller, Nelson Aguilar, Gabriel Davis, Brashad Perryman, Mike Williams, Calvin Ridley, Rashard Higgins, and DJ Chark. And then I took the, the top 10 PPR wide receivers and where did they finish in ADOT? Um, and I did not include, I did not get rid of the 50. I did not have a 50 target minimum here, but three of them were in the top 30, four of them were in the top 50. And then Devontae Adams was 93rd, Diggs 74th, Hopkins tied with Adams 93rd, Tyler Lockett 78th, Allen Robinson 83rd. Does ADOT matter? That's my question. Does ADOT matter? I think it's a nice thing to say about somebody, but it, I think it pretty clearly doesn't matter. It matters in, in my opinion, in evaluation of like how the numbers are happening. And it matters like it helps us to see like the Tyler Lockett one's really weird. His role has clearly changed because his A dot in past years has been very high. Um, so that's the type of thing where I think it can have, like, I thought Ben Gretsch made a good point last summer when he was talking about how Stefan Diggs has showed us that he can be elite as a low A dot guy and a high A dot guy. And that's rare that you have somebody that is that. And then Diggs went to Buffalo and became one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Yeah. So Lockett, you know, the catches went way up as the A dot went down and that makes sense. And uh, that's another, you know, you could argue that ADOT is bad, that you, that you want it lower in PPR. Um, air yards are good. Could, I think you could argue that you maybe don't want the outliers. Meaning what? You don't necessarily want the guys with a 16-yard ADOT because they don't nobody throws the ball that deep regularly. And you don't want the guys with a 5 ADOT because then you have to be a, a monster in terms of yak to be any good. Yeah, uh, like air yards are good because you know total air yards means you're getting a lot of targets. But a dot, you know, is guys like MVS, Jalen Guyton, Scott Miller not getting a ton of targets. All right, uh, then how about uh, our next stat? Devontae Adams had 44.4 percent of his team's targets inside the 10 yard line. When Rodgers threw the ball inside the 10 yard line, 44.4 percent of those passes were going to Devontae Adams. That is the most since Delaney Walker in 2017. He had 41, 47 percent of his team's targets, but he had a lot fewer. He had eight that year. Adams had 20 in 2020. Um, So the top five in terms of percentage of teams green zone targets inside the 10, Devontae Mm -hmm. Adams at 44.4%, and then Adam Thielen at 37%, Logan Thomas 35, 
Amari Cooper, 31%. TJ Hawkinson, 30%. Um, Dave, what do you make of this stat? Any, anyone on this list that you want to, Adams included, that you think it's interesting here? I mean, this is a stat that I love because this is each team and each each team that we're talking about here telling you who they like in in this very important area of the football field. And we could say quarterback too. We know that Aaron Rodgers definitely leaned on Devontae Adams. This it, It's not surprising. Like I was thinking to myself when you were going over Devontae Adams' percentage, it's not that crazy. We, we, we saw it happen. Who else is he going to throw to down there? There's Tunyon and there's the running backs, but that's really not NVS territory. Sometimes it has been. And Lazard really should be somebody that could take percentage points off of Devontae Adams, but he just didn't because Adams is just so good at getting open. And, and the Packers were good at scheming up and Rodgers is super accurate. So it all works out. Thielen was a very touchdown heavy receiver this year. Wasn't surprising to see that percentage there. He's going to be a bust for me in 2021 because I don't think he can keep up the same type of production numbers. Logan Thomas, the big tight end, big target. That makes sense. Amari Cooper, good receiver, kind of in that Devontae Adams realm where he's a good route runner too. So that makes sense. Hawkinson is the one that's kind of crazy to me. On a, on a team with Stafford to Marvin Jones, those two were always hooking up for at least red zone targets. That's, that, that tells me that at least in 2020, the Lions thought so much of Hawkinson that they leaned to him a third of the time in the in the red zone, uh, probably because of his size and his ability to, you know, be like a, a low post player and and go up and get a pass. He should have scored more touchdowns than he had. Uh, next stat: the New York Giants had three offensive linemen in the top ten in pressures allowed per dropback. Uh, so how basically <laughs> they were terrible. Three offensive linemen. That gave up the ten, you know, top ten pressures per dropback. That's just like wow. one of those things where you have a weird stat show and then you throw one in there that's clearly not weird and to be expected. Yeah, and we have to name which one's not weird. Well, I, this is alarmingly bad. Now, now it's a little deceiving because one of the linemen, two of the linemen, was like were played the same position. One replaced the other, so it was always their left tackle and their left guard. My first year. Yeah, on the podcast, um, Dave was sending me DMs during the podcast saying the next time Adam starts going off on a oh, weird yeah. Giants rant, let's do a bit where we <laughs> call it the Adam Azer New York Giants <laughs> fantasy report. And I couldn't pull it off. Uh, I still can't. I don't have acting chops. But um, it would have been a good time for it right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. You don't, you don't think this is interesting? It's not. It's not crazy. Why? It's predictable. They had they had the left side of their offensive line was uh, the worst in football. Who's the fantasy relevant player that we're going to make a big like? Well, well, Daniel Jones went from you know a late round a late round pick to a late round fantasy pick last year to uh, who people thought had sleeper potential to uh, not guys not getting drafted. So sure. But I think that's I, and not, fact, and that's listen, not, listen. when I think well, about the Giants offensive line, that's not who I'm thinking about. No, but this is pass protection. This is a stat I had. I mean, it would be great both for these, Saquon Barkley. Both these guys that ended up playing left tackle and left guard were rookies. So I'm making, the, if they get better, which they did, uh, I think, then, um, you know, if the left side of the offensive line is better, then th- that could be big. And the fact that Daniel Jones, before his ankle injury, pretty sure he was third in the NFL in rushing yards for quarterbacks. So a little improvement there could give us a stream a streaming QB. Sure. 
I think I think that's fine, and I like where you went with it, and maybe that'll mean that Sterling Shepard actually does get 10-plus PPR points in every single game that he plays as long as that line is healthy enough to protect Daniel Jones. Isn't it possible that a better pass-blocking offensive line would be bad for Sterling Shepard because they'd throw it to Darius Slayton more because he'd have time to get open downfield? Maybe, but then you're also counting on... Uh, look, the, the offensive line, I knew this a year ago. They had to get better just so Daniel Jones wouldn't get hit and lose the football. Because the combination of him getting hit quickly and him holding on to the ball too long was toxic. It's why he had 423 fumbles lost as a rookie. And they didn't really fix it. They need to fix it. And well, yeah. well they were their, both their rookies. run blocking did improve as the season went on, right? You remember when Wayne Gallman started to string together some big games? That was because the offensive line was doing a better job run blocking. They need to keep improving there. They have to improve as a pass blocking unit. And if that becomes a strength, then you, you know who also could end up catching a lot of passes if if, uh, if Daniel Jones is, is back there and, and the edict is to get rid of the ball quickly? It's Saquon Barkley. On top of him being behind a better offensive line that he can run through, he can catch more passes. He can go back to being a 2,000 total yard guy. I think we can wrap this up, Dave, if you could just tell us where do you have Daniel Jones, like what round in your three-quarterback league rankings? Uh, he would be in a three-quarterback league. I'd <laughs> probably start to look his way in round 10. All right, next, uh, next, next stat, next stat. There were, this is from Dave, there were eight games in which a Chicago tight end had 10-plus PPR fantasy points. There were zero such games in 2019. So a big improvement. Uh, from their tight ends. Jimmy Graham actually finished as almost a top 12 tight end in PPR. He was 10th in non-PPR. He was 13th in PPR. That's and, disgusting. And then he really he only had 21 targets in his last seven games, and Komet had 36 targets in those seven games. But they threw the tight end, Dave. It's a Cole Komet stat, and you knew that the Bears probably realized. I, I, I don't think they look at fantasy stats and said, we didn't have a single tight end have 10 PPR points in 2019. They knew through other ways that tight end was a position they wanted to improve on. They tried in 2019 with Trey Burton. That didn't work out. So 2020, they just throw the kitchen sink at it. They bring in Jimmy Graham. They draft Cole Komet. Uh, and, and now Graham probably not going to be on the Bears next year. I'd be surprised if he is. This is a Cole Komet stat. This is, this is a signal that he could end up being a useful and potentially top 12 fantasy tight end in 2021. I hate where I came out on Cole Komet and my projections. Um, but I do like I I don't have him nearly high enough, and I would like to rank him as a breakout potential and all that. I just like I'd like to see who the Bears' quarterback's going to be. I mean they they'd probably change quarterbacks. They changed passing game coordinators, right? Um, yeah, but it's still Matt Nagy, who's and that's been mixed in terms of how he targets his tight ends. Uh, can I just say something real quick here? Um, I feel like this was the first time in weeks that I mentioned the Giants. So I don't appreciate what you guys did to me there. That was not cool. Okay. <laughs> and I'm trying to look something up here because I'll get into our last stat, which is about Odell Beckham. Well, it's really about Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, another one from Dave here. Baker Mayfield had five games with 22-plus fantasy points, six-point per passing touchdown leagues. Four of them came without Odell Beckham, and the other one was when Beckham got hurt. I believe he played two snaps. He got hurt right away, and uh, that was the first of the five good games, fantasy-wise, for uh, for Baker Mayfield. And I just want all, to confirm the two, two snaps. But, yeah, go ahead. All of the evidence that we have 
from Baker Mayfield's career is that he is a better quarterback without Odell Beckham than he is with Odell Beckham. I'm not saying that's true. That sounds stupid to me. And I would maybe mock somebody else for saying it. But all the evidence we have suggests that he is much better as a quarterback without Odell Beckham. Um, it's weird. It is. Yeah. It is. You wouldn't expect that at all. It's no, totally I don't counterintuitive. I'm not saying that that's true. Other than the one thing that could be is he doesn't have to worry about getting Odell Beckham the ball when Odell Beckham's not there. He can just throw it to who's open. Absolutely. And um, he also threw the ball a lot more in the last six games of the season when he kind of took off. But, you know, look, in that stretch, he had that game against Baltimore, best game of the year, through 47 times. He had a 53-pass game against the Jets when they lost and actually had no wide receivers in that game. But other than that, he was right around 30 pass attempts usually, which was, you know, not that I think much. he was more efficient, though. Uh, I probably, yeah, I'm sure he was. Um, where did you have De- Odell Beckham in your first uh, run of rankings, Dave? I was looking at my tight end rankings. You have to give me a second to go to my receiver rankings. Uh, he's not very high, I can tell you that. I've got him 33rd. Well, that's, uh, that's eight spots higher than I had him. Yeah, I broke down his him. season. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm currently debating him versus Jerry Judy, and it could very easily end up being Judy ahead of him based on, I mean, if the Broncos change quarterbacks, that's a no-brainer. But there, that he that's the range that he's living in in my rankings right now, number three receiver. I have him very close to Michael Gallup. Wow. I know it's weird. So I know low. it's so weird. It's so weird, but you just think about his two years in Cleveland, his last year with the Giants. What has overshadowed? What's been the consistency in all of those years? To me, it's injuries. To me, yeah. it's him playing through something or missing time because of small to large injuries. And I think it's it, it's robbing us of these amazing years that we were expecting from Odell after his first three seasons. Well, it's it's everything though. Like injuries are certainly a big part of it, um, but his efficiencies kind of cratered in terms of catch rate, um, in terms of yards per target, in terms of yards per game. Like he's also just in terms of touchdown rate, like virtually everything you could measure for a wide receiver except for yards per reception because yeah, I think his ADOT's probably been higher. Um, it's just not been quite the same. It's not the same guy. It's certainly not the same guy that we saw the first two and oh. three years of his career. I think uh, I, that, that guy, guy has not existed since 2016. I know, and I wish he was still around. Two things. One, the Browns just made the playoffs without him, and they did it with a good running game. I don't think they're going to go back to their facility this offseason and say, the, the the key to us getting farther is having Odell Beckham get 10 targets per game. I just think that they're going to continue to do what they've been doing. And the second thing is that I just, I, I don't know if he's even going to be a part of the Browns that there there's been some rumors. They can't cut him because he's hurt, um, but they could trade him. And I wonder if they're just, if they're at the point where they go, look, we just made the playoffs without Odell Beckham. We can go ahead and, and, uh, and, and trade him, get whatever we can for him and just move on from him. We don't know what he's like on the bench in the locker room after practice. Is he still kind of a diva or is he kind of settled down in Cleveland? We, we just don't know. 
But if he's traded, I think we'll figure it out pretty quickly. We're going to finish the show with an Apple podcast question from Evil Ricky. I can keep three players in my keeper league for no more than three years. It is a super flex league, four point per passing touchdown. I can keep Herbert and Hertz in the 17th and 18th rounds and Waller in the fifth. All right, so those could be his three keepers. Two QB league, or mm-hmm. super flex. Herbert and Hertz in the 17th and 18th rounds, Waller in the fifth. I could also keep Tyreek Hill in the third, but it would be my final year with Tyreek Hill. Did he say how many more years he has with Waller? No. And I'm assuming he's got maximum amount of years, whether it's two, three, ten, whatever, with the quarterbacks. And it looks like Carson Wentz is going to be moved. So Hertz uh, has to be the odds-on favorite to be the starter for Philadelphia to begin the season, and it's a super flex league. The quarterbacks have to be kept. Yeah, I, I struggle with Jalen Hurts' value a lot. but mm-hmm. Yeah, he's um, not in my top 12. But yeah, I think you'd yeah. have to keep Herbert, Hurts, and Waller. 18th round in a 2QB league, you know. You I mean, there's keep, no question. Right? Waller uh, in the fifth, over Hill in the third. I think so. Assuming you have multiple years of Waller and only one year of Hill, yes. If it's one year of Two both, more I'd years of Waller. Two, Two more, more years, years of Waller. Yeah, I'm going to Waller. How do you know that, Ben? He would have specified like he did Are with you Hill. evil Ricky? Yeah, are you evil Ricky? Just, is this what I you do? I know evil Ricky. You just populate... All our APR questions, all our Apple podcast review questions with your own. It would be nice if I could do that. It would be great. All right, listen, uh, leave us a nice five-star review with a question. We will read it on a show. Send us your emails at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Enjoy the buffalo chicken dip. Enjoy the weekend. Talk to you later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.